This is a story for those who wish that they could truly read between the lines of the book they were reading and see the world of the story through the eyes of the author. For those who wish that they could make nonfiction from fiction. For those who wish that dreams were true. This is a story of a group of wayward friends who came together from the far reaches of two worlds to come together and to help make dreams reality. This is Hazeltown's story. Hello and welcome to Hazeltown Story episode 20. Um, yes, we're taking a quick little uh, break from our break um, by uh, recording this little episode that uh, is much more of a narrative thing. Uh, this is not actually, there's no play in this one. There, there's no genesis involved in this. Uh, this is pure going to be, this is going to be purely story. Um, so a while back, there was a uh, episode that I did that focused on Lila and her kind of backstory. And um, I figured that uh, that's actually a good probably template for until, until we run out of characters um, to kind of basically use to kind of fill out in case there's a gap that is needed. Um, and since there's been a break for Hazeltown story since, uh, oh gee, I already forgot when uh, that went on break. Uh, but up until November, when we will actually have new uh, new regular episodes, um, I did want to do another story. Um, this one in particular will be about the backgrounds of, you know, two very big members of the team, uh, Rhapsody and Lomi, um, because they kind of share a backstory. So it doesn't it it makes more sense to do both of them at once, and then having individual episodes based on one or the other, because their stories are pretty intertwined. Um, so I was planning on an episode that was the same length as Pure Hazel 1, which I think that episode was around 20 minutes. Uh, that slightly ballooned. Uh, so this is going to be a lot longer than I was expecting it to be. Um, but it at least gets the information out there. Um, so the general gist of this episode is that this episode is a diary entry uh, from Lolo, um, Locution, not um, me personally. Um, to another locution uh, agent of he uh, with Lolo being, I don't think it's actually said outright, but Lolo is a men member of Loika, which I believe on uh, some supplemental material that I mentioned that that is basically uh, the locution empire's kind of agency that they use to kind of keep an eye on things. Um, it's the organization that sent Lolo out to uh, Lolo slash Henry uh, out to kind of view things and uh, in Hazeltown, they were originally looking for Cygnus members, kind of ballooned into the, you know, the scrying thing that's, you know, the main plot of Hazeltown stories, so to speak. Um, so this episode will be a diary entry from Lolo to another uh, member of Loka uh, that kind of describing uh, a meeting between Rhapsody in Lomi and uh, Lolo. Uh, so... Yeah, uh, that is going to be the what this episode is. As I mentioned again, um, no uh, kind of gameplay thing. Uh, and also I will say from this, uh, with the amount of all that kind of went into this, there's probably only going to be one more episode until we get back on hiatus. I do want to do a tiny episode. Uh, this one will be short. Famous last words. But I'm planning on that one being short because it is basically a brief interlude uh, for some events that happen 
um, by some events, basically, uh, kind of set up for the returning episode, which will be in no- probably the second or third week in November. Um, so, and it's basically, yeah, it's basically entirely set up. Um, but yeah, this will be a kind of background for Rhapsody and Lomi, but also kind of uh, some of the world uh, that they kind of come from. It'll be a description of the country that actually Rhapsody and Lomi come from because they don't come from like, they're not from England or they're not from, you know, the uh, Turtle Island, which is kind of where our landmass of the U.S. is, although I guess it really only matters if you're European or if you're American. Uh, like me um so like turtle island or like the south america or something like that they're actually from a place that it's on remus uh so it is a world that we're not super familiar with uh so that'll be explained here uh so uh yeah with that um that is going to do it for me talking so here we go here is the start of this diary entry uh, um, let's see, this thing looks like, okay, looks like it, it is a uh, recording. All right, um, to Lauren. Greetings from the Steinwald. It's been quite a while since I've moved here, but I'm still not quite used to living in the noisy city. Um, I know you're probably used to it, you know, living in Liège and all, but, uh, it's certainly different than even the most busy city in Moonbeacon. Um... So I heard you were looking for uh, updates from my time in uh, the CSN. So I figure that uh, now would be a good time to tell you about that and that project I had been, uh, you know, roped into, uh, kind of going by some locals here. Yeah. Um, so figure I'd just uh, give you a little update here and I uh, tell you about a meeting that I had with uh, two of the members of that kind of project. Um, it's about the uh, audio magician uh, Rhapsody and that uh, Dr. Lomi, uh, you know, the one that I told you about that uh, shares your surname. Um, yeah, I was able to sit down with them. It turns out that their backstory is a lot more adventurous than I had first imagined. Um, so I was recently invited by Rhapsody to come visit her at her house. Um, it was a lovely little weekend uh, in Hazeltown, um, kind of a city that's kind of, or town rather, uh, that's kind of a little bit like 20 minutes out from uh, Steinwald. Um, it was a really great day to go visit her, and she has a small but uh, pretty cozy little home. Um, turns out that, uh, yeah, I found out that I uh, wasn't the only one uh, there uh, because it turns out Lomi uh, also was staying there, uh, at least for the weekend. It seems like they have an arrangement where Lomi lives in his apartment in Steinwald, you know, because he needs to be there uh, doing work. I believe he works at a hospital there. Can't remember which one, but yeah, uh, it turns out that she, he comes out and stays with her during the weekend. Um, two were very gracious hosts. Um, started out sitting in their living room where, uh, Lomi was reading some detective story or something. Didn't quite get a great look at the cover. Um, but then, uh, we were talking for a while and then I saw that they had a photo album on the table. Um, had a whole bunch of photos from their homeland and they really wanted to show me. I guess they brought it out just to kind of show me. Uh, so I never been to uh, Ida Montagna, where they're from, on Heaven's Hearth. Uh, looks like they came from, they were telling me their uh, little kind of region that they're from is called Valle Bianca. Um, practically its own city state. 
It's huge. It covers this entirety of this valley that, uh, from the map, it's like this giant sea that's in the middle of a kind of a mountain branch or a mountain range. The, um, and yeah, it's like this huge, like 1,000 square mile uh, kind of area. Um, area actually gets uh, apparently referred to as, uh, I believe in Italian, uh, La Tana Infinita, um, which I think translates roughly into the Infinite Warren, um, because apparently it's a mostly uh, legomorphic population, you know, uh, rabbit and pika. Um, and yeah, it turns out they're actually really good too at making uh, their homes like underground. Um, underneath, there's a huge kind of forested area. It even has it going into the mountains itself. Um, I think that actually there was a trick that uh, I know that they had um, back when, like, you know, eons ago, um, they had really good locution ties. So we were able to kind of teach them how to get into the mountain and kind of, they have some really elaborate um, kind of inner mountain like cities and all that um so rhapsody uh was telling me about her kind of uh home city first um little nice little quaint little place called snowcap um the picture she showed me showcased like miles of buildings uh laid into the sloping mountains you know just as far as the, i can see it's just like this giant stone metropolis like, it almost seemed like it was natural in the mountain. It was kind of fascinating. Um, and it, it was just, I, I need to see it at this one point. We'll get to it later, maybe a little once some uh, trouble kind of settles down. And uh, Lomi, like also after Rapsy showed me hers, uh, he kind of had some photos as well of his hometown. Like, his hometown was actually uh, inside the inside of one of those in that mountain range um actually the mountain that's actually that snow cap rests on um and his city was actually just called Greyhaven. um it used to be this old mining town that actually um when they decided when the mines kind of ran out uh, a long time ago uh, turned into a huge cultural and technological kind of epicenter um where basically there was these huge elaborate uses of uh radionics and uh technomancy that um they even had like these underground farms so that um they can have it's really snowy there so they had these large underground farms that um a lot of them grow crops even in like the coldest of winter and like had these really elaborate underground living areas that could fit a huge amount of people there um very dense living areas um really really fascinating like almost as dense here as here in the Steinwald. They really know how to pack people in really nice compact areas. Um, and yeah, I also got a chance to see kind of their families. Um, that was really nice because there's a level of film. I always like uh, seeing people's family kind of, you know, gives you kind of a tie to them. Um, yeah, especially when you see like pictures of like their parents and all that. Um, I was able to like... It was well, was a really great time because I I was actually able to uh, ditch the Henry disguise um, basically the moment that I walked through the door um, because they 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 knew actually pretty pretty soon after I met them I kind of didn't realize that Lomi could kind of see through my disguise um, he's you know he has a really good uh, he I mean he's a practicing animancer so he has a really good uh, beat on you know people's magical signals and yeah kind of hard to disguise that. Uh, so 
thankfully they're pretty good about I'm, I trust them to keep that kind of secret well hopefully um, it'd be very bad if that got out and uh, I really really don't want to have anything happen to them nonetheless uh, yeah you could tell they did not have uh, that much experience with locusts um, that you know especially undisguised ones you know I'm pretty sure we have a few of us uh, kind of walking around they probably didn't even notice but uh yeah, uh, I think this was probably their first view of uh, seeing an actual, you know, undisguised locust uh, in a kind of, you know, such a homey environment, I guess. Um, yeah, and I guess uh, we kind of got the chatting after the photo album. So uh, I wanted to uh, put the, you know, faces to names and all that. So I, I basically got look at looking a little bit into their backstory. Um, and they were uh, very gracious and uh, told me kind of their uh, little backstory. Um, so Rapsy went first. Um, she was born on May 4th, 246. Um, her mother, uh, Flora, was a baker, and her father, Nestor, was a uh, musician, a pianist to be specific. Um, she was the second of four kids. Um, she had an older brother named Lyric, uh, let's see, a younger sister named Melody, and a younger brother named Rondo. Um, it turns out that her birth name actually was Rana, um, but uh, when her brother Rondo was born, uh, she kind of felt it was unfair that basically she was uh, probably the only musical child in the family and didn't really make, make a whole lot of sense that, you know, the musical one was the one who didn't have a musical name. Uh, so she asked her father to what uh, he thought of it, and um, he actually came up with the name Rhapsody uh, based on his favorite, one of his favorite uh, songs to play, uh, Rhapsody in Blue. Uh, by Gershwin. Um, father said that it reminded her uh, that, you know, she reminded him of the song. It's a, if you've ever heard the song, somewhat chaotic and full of life, a handful to kind of keep under control, yet a beautiful and a piece of art in its own way is kind of how she phrased his words. Um, yeah, that I think that she had kind of gets a kick out of that, uh, put a big smile on her face, and based on Lomi's reaction, kind of agreed with the sentiment. Um, Loma's family is a little bit more straightforward. He was born on October 29th of 243. Um, Loma's father, Ben, was a doctor and an answer just like he was. Um, turns out that he's actually, you know, one of those familial line of uh, jobs where uh, basically his father was a doctor and his father before him, or his grandfather's doctor, goes down quite far, apparently. Um, while his mother, Claire, uh, was just a housewife. Uh, she didn't really do anything, you know, other than raise him, which is, you know, job on its own, but, uh, yeah, uh, no occupation, it seems. Um, his name actually kind of comes uh, from his parents, actually kind of got a little bit indecisive on what to name him, apparently. Uh, his father wanted to name him Michelle, while his mother wanted a more warrior name of Loic. Um, so to turn, when they couldn't kind of come to a decision, they decided on Lomi, um, because it allowed them to have know, a, basically a nice mix of the two, and a nice cadence when spoken, Lomi Loizel. Although, now that I think about it, they probably could have done Milo, but Milo Loizel just kind of a, doesn't have the nice, nicer ring to it. Um, he did have a younger brother named Remy, who is, um, I believe he said that he was currently studying to be an animancer as well. Um, and once Remy finishes school, uh, he's planning on actually moving his family uh, out of here, you know, to get away from the troubles in the area. And uh, 
Apparently also, some, they're, while they're going to do that, they're also going to try and get some of uh, Rapsi's family to come over here as well. Uh, turns out that Melody uh, was planning on coming over here once she's done with school. Uh, I think she, uh, Rapsi said that she was probably in her junior or senior year of college, uh, so probably will be coming in a year or two. And uh, basically, Rondo is currently studying abroad in Moonbeacon as well. Um, Lyric, uh, however, he, apparently he and his family are determined to kind of stay in Valle Bianca uh, to kind of help with the ruling government uh, should it stabilize. Um, and then apparently she's just, uh, once uh, more of the family's going to bring come over, um, you know, uh, Rapsi's family or parents have a kind of, you know, they're rooted in the area. Uh, so that once uh, Melody and uh, Rondo decide where they're going to stay, uh, um, Rapsi might um, move them out over here as well. Um, so yeah, uh, we chatted for their, you know, their families for a little bit. Um, and then, uh, yeah, uh, obviously the two of them are very, um, they don't really show it. They're not really a huggy kissy kind of couple, but they definitely uh, really care for each other. So I was kind of curious how they actually met um, because I saw a lot of pictures of them together, even back home. Uh, apparently, uh, Lomi kind of told, told the story. Um, Rapsi, I think, was testing him to see how much he remembered. Um, and yeah, uh, he met her when he was 14 and she was 12. Or he was, uh, excuse me, 10. Uh, Lomi's, uh, apparently Lomi and Rhapsody's parent, or mothers were actually old schoolmates. And uh, while, um, basically while Rhapsody's family was visiting Greyhaven, uh, kind of, they visited and brought Rhapsody along with them. Um, basically, and ever since then, the two of their personalities kind of match in a weird way, uh, or not a weird way, uh, but they matched kind of almost perfectly in such a way they, they kind of became friends pretty quickly. Um, and then basically they were friends for quite a time and then things eventually turned romantic when uh, basically once uh, Rhapsody turned 18. Um, apparently uh, she had had some uh, partners before, but uh, nothing really stuck. Uh, I think she, she kind of knew that in her heart of hearts that basically Lomi was the guy for her. Um, and yeah, uh, they'd been together ever since, um, through even through um, kind of some troubled times in their area. Um, Lomi mentioned actually that they were thinking about getting married um, when moving here, but uh, they decided that actually that probably wouldn't be be too much of a you know a shark, uh, like a shock. Um, but they're already getting used to a society that they've never even heard of, lived in. Uh, so that'd be kind of a huge shock to also get married is trying to deal with that as well. Uh, although Rhapsody has it in her head that uh, Lomi doesn't want to bury her because uh, Lomi wants to knock her up. Um, which he, there is a, I, I could tell from a chuckle that maybe there is a little bit, but that it was very interesting seeing him fl get flustered um, considering how straight laced he seems to be. Um, but yeah, uh, he... <laughs> Uh, perhaps you can tell knows how to get his uh, how to get him riled up uh, so it was funny kind of seeing that he's usually a very stuck up person um, but it was nice to actually see him get almost a little jokey at the time and uh, yeah uh, we took a look at the photo album a little while uh, kind of once we put that kind of away um, she actually gave us uh, kind of a brief tour of the house um, because we actually uh took the conversation outside a little bit um, because while her house was a nice little uh, two-bedroom, two-bath affair, uh, it's actually kind of a very small part of the plot. Uh, there's She actually has a huge fenced-in backyard 
uh, took took in like it's like the backyard takes up like two thirds of the entire plot, uh, and yeah, she had a very nice little garden with plenty of uh, fruits and like plenty of vegetables that um, she likes to you know use in cooking, and a uh, nice little gazebo actually in the back with a daybed, um, even has a nice little small artificial pond. Um, she actually I asked her how she managed to like you know get such a nice house, and she told me that when she was applying for housing here, that uh, the housing department, um, when uh, they were actually, you know, getting, after they had, you know, started the immigration process, then they were looking for a house. Um, They apparently wanted to get uh, younger couples to move to Hazeltown, um, kind of get more younger people in the area. Apparently it used to be the Hazeltown's kind of, uh, used to be notorious for being kind of an old people town, but they're trying to kind of get the youth so to speak, in there uh, to kind of help diversify the area, um, trying to boost its art scene to kind of get a little side thing uh, outside the Steinwald. Um, and yeah, so uh, basically they knew that uh, she mentioned that she was planning, that she, you know, was in a steady relationship with Lomi. So uh, in kind of expectation that maybe they'll one day will actually get married, um, they kind of gave her this house. It seemed like kind of going in the area. It seems like this kind of spacious area. Uh, not a whole lot of houses there. But the one thing I've noticed about the CSN is that they really know how to pack people in pretty quick, uh, pretty uh, condensely. They really know how to kind of use the area. Uh, this nice little planned area uh, full of kind of houses. Um, kind of a lot nicer than like, um, God, it's like seeing those suburbs in America the time that I've been there. It's just so, there's like, they actually put artistry into their houses here. It's kind of fascinating. Um, even in the suburbs, it's still actually, you know, not every house looks identical. Uh, it's actually very nice. Um, and yeah, um, she actually told me that she kind of wanted an area, like she really wanted kind of a fenced in area or like a really back, big backyard because, you know, it Valle Bianca, I mean, if you think about the Italian for it, it's, you know, white valley uh it's really cold out there and really snowy uh so having an outside garden for her was really neat um she's really happy that she was able to get there um and actually uh one thing that she was did mention uh she didn't show me it um because that would be a little bit awkward at least for someone just still getting to know each other um but actually she's trying to uh maybe at one point uh get into a naturist lifestyle. Um, it, it, you know, with it being cold, it's kind of, you kind of need clothes there and trying to, you know, do the whole naturist things kind of a not good idea. Um, and yeah, uh, did she like one thing she likes here is that it allows her to be, you know, freer in her choice of clothing or I guess in this case, lack thereof, but nonetheless, um, she wasn't trying to do this for any, uh, like any, uh, she actually has a very specific purpose for this. Uh, yeah, wasn't any way sexual or anything. Uh, she's not trying to, you know, get into one of those kind of, you know, there's a lot of cults here, but uh, not trying to get into one of those weird things. Um, it's actually apparently a uh, pretty big tenant, and apparently they're actually more religious than I thought, um, because apparently both of them uh, practice Banukian animism, um, which I... I'm not sure. It's mostly a thing that was really only in the Heaven's Harf area. And I'm not super familiar with it myself. Um, but I think I kind of had the general gist of it. It's not super complicated. 
Uh, the name comes from the native language or language of Ronkin's word for tribute. Um, big kind of core concept of it is basically revolving around something that the self is a spirit that is driving a kind of the body, that the spirit is the more important thing. The body is just this vessel for this world. And the spirit is constantly in a battle between light and dark, um, you know, and the kind of a lot of religions have good actions, you know, feed the light and bad actions feed the dark. I'm not super familiar with what those good and bad actions are, um, but basically it's that general concept. And yeah, Rapsi actually mentioned that her uh, brother Lyric was actually a great teacher of that religion back home. Um, and she actually worries about that because um, part of the troubles back home actually has something to deal with, uh, you know, Benukian animism and kind of it's, not stranglehold, but it's kind of, it's a big thing uh, back there. And I'm, I'm not certain if you've been keeping an eye on the Heaven Hearts Troubles, um, but just in case you haven't, I'll give you a brief rundown. You know the Irish Troubles? You know the problems that are going on in Ireland at the moment? Um, imagine that, but with even more factions. Um, part of the name of Heaven's Hearth, you know, it's not just the fact that it's really high uh, in the heavens, but, you know, heaven is a huge part of it because... Religion, in particular, Benukian animism, plays a massive part in the cultures in the area, um, including its political structure. Um, basically, like, like uh, you know, Montagna and uh, the you know where uh, Bianca uh, Via Bianca and like all those areas over there, um, religion actually plays a huge part in their um, like their political system. Uh, so it's taken a, it's been part of it for like centuries, if not millennia. Um, and, you know, recently, um, I think now that, you know, there's been a more global push, um, kind of more, you know, it's the world's becoming more global and not so, um, you know, not so in their own area. Um, basically, um, there's been tries to kind of push and secularize the area when trying to make a government that's not, you know, focused on this religion and kind of trying to democratize it a little bit more and not have, you know, religious leaders be the rulers and have it, you know, be just like political leaders. Um, and these, these, it's actually interesting because those, you know, when people kind of came up with the ideas for trying to secularize the religions, you know, the ruling government actually didn't really have a huge problem with it uh it was kind of you know it was a very popular idea that was kind of grown you know locally and organically um to kind of really change how uh, the government of the areas kind of you know kind of become this one unit and kind of it almost be a call to like get countries to kind of become one and kind of increase kind of the presence of heaven's hearth in kind of the global you know the global you know society and yeah, also um, pretty large, uh, basically another kind of problem in the area is, you know, that area is kind of contested at the moment. Um, basically, it's kind of somewhere close to the Song Plains. So, you know, and also kind of, it's kind of almost in between, you know, the Song Plains and kind of the whole region that the Asian Empire is kind of trying to, you know, increase. So they have these two neighbors that are trying to almost kind of getting into their area. 
and they're wondering whether or not they should actually ally with one or the other um, because they've Heaven's Hearth, the countries there have been very like, very allied with the, the Cushion Sovereignty Alliance um, and yeah uh, the thing is, is that um, they've kind of always wanted you know, basically you've, they, they want to be kind of on their own thing but kind of they're wondering if they kind of are going to have to, for survival, kind of ally with one one or the other. And yeah, uh, once the Soviet Pact and the pro-Euro-American alliance kind of got a whole, like, kind of figured out that this was going on, uh, they do what they've been doing great in starting out their psyops. And yeah, basically all hell is starting to break loose and splinter groups are, you know, starting to form. So yeah, uh, the most notable groups uh, were kind of labeled the uh, Blue and Red Scarves, um, which are kind of, you know, the more problem children of these groups that formed. Um, not outright backed by any nation. Um, basically, they're really, really uh, gung-ho for trying to get uh, alliances with certain uh, countries and trying to basically get them to join already existing packs. Um, and uh, yeah, uh, the colors kind of pretty obvious who they're trying to, uh, you know, favor. Um, let's see. Uh, the Red Scars uh, basically feel that, you know, all the nations of Heaven Hearth, you know, each of them kind of have their own kind of communal cultural culture. But uh, yeah, why don't we just kind of take that culture and just kind of shove it to the side, you know, just completely become gung-ho on, you know, the work, work of Marx, uh, just abandon the religion, abandon everything, just kind of Go ahead and become a good old Marxist nation and just kind of join the Soviet Union just like all the other nations. Although, um, it seems like generally if you kind of get hold of them, basically, uh, they have a definition of Marxism that's uh, kind of interesting, almost kind of authoritarian and kind of missing the whole democratic thing. But uh, nonetheless, um, they are very very adamant with their kind of views and almost have even like a cult-like reference to the thing that even you know even the song planes kind of feel like they're kind of going a little bit overboard um and uh yeah so that's there's red scarves blue scarves have pretty much complete opposite you know just why don't we this you know this whole culture this whole communal thing just kind of toss that aside and why don't we just kind of become nice old capitalist nations you know just kind of exploit everything in our mountains and just kind of sell it on the free market who bothers with kind of that just kind of join and become a nice part of the just a nice little puppet state of the Zion empire uh just because you know they're gonna overrun us anyway so why don't we just go ahead and join them yeah um neither of these two are particular pop particularly popular with the people um, they have less than probably 10% of the support in the entire country, like any of them. Um, basically, the problem with the Red Scars is that you're basically supporting a regime or an ideal that's basically kind of against the majority of the religious population. Uh, yeah, like everyone there is practically, you know, if not Benukianismism, uh, one of the other religions in the area, which uh, kind of have a do not really like the Song Plains Union. Uh, the song plane, or particularly the Soviets in the Song Plains, you know, that whole silence of the Song Plains incident um, kind of left a sour taste in their mouth. Um, and yeah, the Blue the blue Scarves have problem basically supporting, you know, their 
they're largely communal societies in the, you know, the whole, they don't do capitalism there. They just kind of, you know, like to support each other. And, you know, the free market never really was an idea there. Um, they kind of were pretty fine on their own. Um, kind of, you know, having a nice supporting uh, culture that kind of, yeah, that's not gonna really work out for them. And yeah, although they're not really popular, uh, basically they have enough of presence to kind of cause problems with the progression because, you know, if you kind of try and support one thing, you might just be actually a secret member of that, you know, one of the SCARS organization kind of working there. The SCARVs are basically boogeymen for kind of the opposing sides that when, um, you know, that whole lovely thing of someone has a point that you don't like, oh, there must be a member of the SCARVs are kind of trying to support them. So, yeah, that's kind of having a problem with, um, you know, the actual... You know, the people with, you know, their head on tight actually forming the good transition plans. Um, there are actually some pretty decent ideas in the area. Um, but yeah, you know, also doesn't help when you have, you know, false, like, basically, just like the occasional assassination, the occasional bombing, and, you know, just general political peril. Uh, that really kind of also hurts, you know, having a normal life there. And yeah, um... It also doesn't help the fact that with the red and blue scarves kind of appearing, uh, another faction called the green scarves appeared, which, you know, basically, you know, now you have your, your diehard Banukian animus kind of saying, you know, we should just completely abandon any secularization and become even more, um, basically give the leaders of the religion even more power. Um, and yeah, only it only really adds to this whole, you know, rendering the area a complete political nightmare. So yeah, basically in a nutshell, extremist factions are conducting terror attacks every day against their enemies, or they're attacking themselves in false flag operations. Just, you know, just a complete nightmare. Um, usually, usually doesn't go by a week without a bombing. It's actually really kind of bad. Um, anyway, uh, I tell you that because I was actually curious if they were actually involved in any of that because you know they were they were they've only been in Hazeltown for probably about a couple of years so they were actually living um, in Valle Bianca during those incidents and yeah I was wondering if they actually had any you know relationship with it I kind of was curious because after seeing Rhapsody in that latest mission she knows how to use a gun and you know. I'm pretty sure that in musical, they don't teach you how to use a knife and gun. Uh, so I was kind of curious if they actually had any, you know, experience with anything going on over there. And after they kind of whispered to themselves for a little bit, Rhapsody guided me towards, you know, their spare room. Um, and yeah, uh, her spare bedroom, actually, she uses it mostly like I've walked in and basically she has a ton of instruments. Um, she's currently studying to become basically she's already a entry-level audio magician but she's kind of i guess you have your your kind of compared she kind of essentially has her bachelor's uh so to speak uh, but she's trying to go in for a quote-unquote graduate um even like graduate level uh audio magic studies uh at a uh, local academy i don't remember exactly which one she went to but nonetheless the room was really actually has a whole bunch of instruments. Um, this really nice compact piano. Uh, she had a ton of flutes, a few types of horns. 
but yeah, um, kind of against the other wall where she was keeping her instruments, there was this really elaborate locked armoire uh, that basically once uh, she kind of, before she even opened it, she basically asked me, she kind of asked me a question. What does a scarf mean to you? And I kind of played dumb, kind of knowing where this kind of thing was going. And I, I you know, said, oh, it's something for winter to get you nice and toasty. Um, but yeah, I, I knew something was in that armoire and, you know, turns out I was right. Upon opening the armoire, I realized that um, this wasn't just your normal armoire for storing things. This was a gun rack and a very elaborate one uh, in the center of this rack um, was actually kind of a glass thing with a really nice pistol in the center of it. Uh, and basically there was kind of an area to the right that stored kind of a, looks like they had two, they had like three rifles to the side. Uh, Rapsi actually said that, uh, yeah, uh, basically because of the last two years of living in, uh, basically living during the troubles in Valle Bianca, they kind of, even though Hazeltown's pretty safe, they kind of, the problem is they kind of have that, you know, thing where they don't feel safe if, unless they're kind of armed. Um, but yeah, they were planning on just like, they knew, they know that they're safe here, but it just doesn't feel right to them. Uh, like that lingering feeling just kind of never left them. Actually kind of sad. Um, but yeah, uh, they actually decided that even though they kind of felt weird being unarmed, they want to actually turn that fear of being unarmed and basically, you know, if they're going to arm themselves, they might as well actually, you know, make practical use of it. Um, the pistol that she had in the case was actually, it's a very elaborate, like it's a very nice one. And it's actually the pistol I recognize her using on that mission with Cygnus last, uh, last time that I told you about. Um, it was a, you know, a P210. Um, basically even like a P210 modified for match purposes. That probably one of the most semi-accurate semi-automatics around. Um, that is not a combat pistol. That is a more of a match pistol. And basically above that case were two tiny little trophies that had her name on it for second and third place in, you know, accuracy things. Um, Lomi even mentioned that uh, he tried, he's more useful with rifles and to the side they had a few, you know, very hunting rifles. They're not getting into like the military gear. Um, and yeah, basically, uh, they're trying to become sportsmen, I guess. Uh, they kind of are using their experience with weapons to kind of, um, for more practical purposes. And, um, I did actually also look to the left and I did see, you know, how they actually managed to, uh, have the weapon knowledge because it turns out that, uh, right next to kind of right above the trophies, um, there was actually a placard that had a whole bunch of medals. And right next to that was a photograph of a much younger, or a, a not maybe not much younger, probably about six or seven or six or seven years older um, picture of Lomi in a Grey Haven Civil Guard uniform. Uh, turns out that he was a member of the local kind of, kind of sort of a police force, although it kind of is more, military focused um that actually when the heaven hearth troubles began uh he basically he originally wasn't planning on becoming the civil guard but then eventually there was an incident in which the red scarves actually kind of bombed the temple that he practiced at 
and which kind of enraged him and kind of realized that he needed to do something to kind of protect his home. Um, so he joined the Civil Guard. And he was even learning how to be an animancer at this point, too. Um, this actually apparently was a really good way. It's actually the way that uh, the Greyhaven Society worked is that um, it allowed him to work as a combat medic, essentially. Uh, you know, there is some incident and basically Lomi can be on the field and kind of trying to, you know, doctor people up before they could, you know, rush them to like a hospital or something. And it also turned out that Lomi's actually, you know, a pretty good, you know, soldier, uh, which he also helped with patrols for kind of keeping an eye out uh, in the city for seeing if there is any, you know, ne'er-do-wells trying to, you know, blow some scarf was trying to blow up something or, you know, cause problems. And yeah, he was a member of the Civil Guard for about four years. And uh, yeah, he seemed like he had a pretty number, good number of awards, uh, some Valor medals that I'm not super familiar with, but they looked really shiny. Um, and especially a couple medals that he kind of specifically pointed out uh, as basically being their version of the Purple Heart. Uh, he apparently received actually the armor that they have there kind of would prevent most uh, things, but he did actually get shot twice in the shoulder Apparently got a really nasty stab wound. Um, but, you know, when you're an animancer, uh, thankfully, uh, you can deal with your own wounds pretty quickly. You don't have to wait for a medic when you're actually the medic. Um, also, apparently, he's apparently pretty hardy because he didn't even realize he got shot when he originally did. Um, just when he realized his shoulder wasn't working as well. Uh, and then he looked down and saw the blood and was like, oh, I probably should do something about that. And yeah, yeah. Uh, and I asked, I was wondering if you could tell me the story of how he actually got that. Uh, and basically, he told me basically that it kind of came out of an assassination attempt. He was on patrol and basically there was a, uh, he was on patrol in one part of the city and then on kind of the other side, uh, some uh, Blue Scarf members tried to assassinate a Red Scarf member and basically kind of turned on to a full firefight. It originally started with just like three guys attacking like two and basically at the end of the day like there were 60 different scarves of the different colors kind of fighting in the like really around this tavern that uh, the red scarves were kind of holed up in basically there were all sorts of things kind of thrown being thrown around improvised explosives some Molotov cocktails guns knives even axes apparently um didn't also help that the green sleeve or the green scarves also got involved and you know tried to torch the tavern down for trying to be supported of one of the scarf groups. Uh, and basically, when Lomi was called in, they were basically uh, they almost the scarves almost had a truce or a ceasefire. They saw that the uh, civil guard came in and basically started just taking pot shots at them immediately. Um, though it seems like apparently uh, uh, Lomi kind of hurt like. There were six accounted uh, cases where he was actually personally involved or responsible for incapacitating six of them. Um, and yeah, that's where he got his medal. Uh, basically, one of them managed to get some pot shots past his armor and uh, kind of caused those wounds. Uh, and the nice thing, apparently he was actually, once he actually got them down, uh, he actually was able to rush over to them. And that's about four of them, but uh, two of them he, you know, couldn't save. Um, apparently told me that uh, one of them took a pretty square shot in the face and even he can't solve that. Don't worry. Uh, he said it was pretty nasty scene. Um, and yeah, apparently when 
apparently it, it seemed kind of weird to me, but uh, apparently the Civil Guard tradition is, uh, or at least what they were adopting, was that take out a scarf, you get the scarf. Um, because I guess with their terrorist thing that they were actually carrying, like the scars were kind of, you know, tradition, like metaphorical at first. Apparently they were actually starting to carry scarves at one point, which, whatever, kind of weird, but uh, yeah. Uh, he actually was able to keep some of them as, you know, kind of trophies, um, which I felt weird because he was kind of practicing to be a doctor at that point. And, you know, you know, most of our doctors are kind of, you know, at least especially you probably more familiar with the European kind of thing of the, like the Hippocratic Oath. Um, and yeah, he had like 25 of these things uh, in a box in his armoire. Um, and basically, I kind of was wondering, I was like, how do you feel about being a doctor and, you know, having to hurt or kill people, I guess. And basically he, the way that he kind of felt it, I felt was kind of interesting. He felt that as a healer, it was his job to ensure a healthy environment. And when you have, you know, complete zealots really, like roaming around hurting people for the sake of your cause, not exactly, you know, causing the healthiest environment to be. Um, so basically he decided that um, if he joined the self-guard, that he could clean up kind of the kind of virus of these scarves uh, in the area. And basically uh, being part of the Civil guard also, you know, he could, you know, learn, he could take up residency in a hospital and kind of, you know, learn how to become a doctor that way. Uh, but he wanted to see, be on the scene, kind of making sure that the moment that people got hurt, that he was there to kind of help. And yeah, uh, each one, he felt that each one of these scars was one less person on the street willing to kill someone over, you know, basically being a puppet for some foreign entity, which Lobi was very, um, seemed like he really loved his home a lot. And seeing basically his you know, countrymen kind of becoming these kind of puppets for a foreign entity really pissed him off. And yeah, his eyes were red already, like they're naturally red, um, but I could see the fire in his eyes. Uh, he was really getting uh, worked up over this. And uh, Rhapsody was uh, nodding him kind of fairly, like basically kind of nodding along, but uh, yeah, it seemed like he or she wanted to uh, kind of, you know, get him to calm down a little bit. Um, and then actually, uh, she kind of surprised me when she showed me her own trophies. Um, because it turns out that uh, one of the best magic, she was actually not in Snowcap when these things were going on. She actually was in Greyhaven as well. Uh, not only to be with, uh, close to Lomi, but also apparently Greyhaven has one of the best kind of audio magic schools in the region. So she was there to basically learn as a musician and kind of started her studies at like the most unfortunate time. And uh, yeah, she didn't want, she also kind of felt a sense of duty. Uh, the kind of bombing incident kind of bothered her a lot too. And the thing was that she really didn't feel like she could be a soldier, so she didn't really want to abandon her studies, but she did want to find some way to help. And basically, she kind of asked Lomi repeatedly to kind of like figure out some way that she could help. Uh, Lomi didn't want to kind of get her, like Lomi wanted her to be safe and not have to bother with it. But uh, he kind of finds something that eventually relinquished and kind of found her um, a spot on a group that was called the Curiers. Um, and the couriers are basically kind of a, filling a very specific need in the area. That's kind of neat. Um, basically, uh, during the troubles, going in at night may scream meant that 
you're basically gambling with your life at that point. You're either going to run to a scarf proof or some opportunist. Um, basically, it's not a very good idea to kind of go out at night uh, during uh, these troubled times. Uh, so there's kind of a need to kind of get get things back and forth from the city. And it turns out uh, that uh, one of the tech, like, it's a very technomancy uh, learned area. So there are a lot of technomancers uh, kind of in the area. And what they kind of figured out is they were actually able to kind of take a special suit, uh, kind of the scout suit uh, that uh, might've seen, kind of similar to our kind of full body kind of cloth suit. Uh, and basically what they were able to learn is basically how to kind of mask it and kind of almost make it turn invisible. Uh, if not invisible, kind of, not really invisible, but kind of, you know, really good camouflage. And basically, couriers were a group that kind of outfitted people with these suits and kind of used them to kind of run back and forth around town, even providing body, like providing, you know, guard services in some cases. And Rhapsody actually had a little bit of a knowledge of technomancy. Uh, as she kind of taught herself how to use it, she thought it was really neat when she was a teen. Uh, so she kind of taught herself how to use it. And basically, um, she was able to actually, the couriers were actually able to teach her how to use this kind of skill to turn herself invisible. And basically, technomancy actually apparently draws from the same thing that the audio magic does. And she was able to use her kind of, you know, power for there and able to kind of use these technomanic tricks pretty easily. And when she basically joined the Curious, she only realized that she she knew Rhapsody, so, or he knew Rhapsody, so, uh, he knew that she was probably going to get, maybe get into trouble a little bit uh, or and just kind of wanted to make sure that she was safe. So Lomi actually gifted her a uh, Browning High Power uh, and a survival knife to make sure she was able to defend herself. Um, apparently, even back then, uh, her uh, her uh, mother actually was able to... She Even though she was a baker, she actually uh, hunted for a good uh, bit. So actually, you know, she was kind of an amateur butcher, apparently. Uh, so she hunted a lot. And one of the first things that uh, uh, her mother kind of taught her when, was basically how to hunt. And she actually knew how, she was, she kind of never really liked rifles, but she really apparently took to learning how to use a pistol. So uh, she kind of knew how to use one already. Uh, but since, you know, the Civil Guard was kind of required to use kind of a lot of different firearms, uh, Lomi was actually able to even teach her more how to use a pistol. So apparently she was actually really good with it just out of the beat. Uh, and yeah, she is actually really good at being a courier and was able to get a lot of her runs done without any incidents. But uh, there is actually a few times where actually it wasn't her life in danger, but she kind of run across someone who was actually about to get into danger. And uh, basically... There's actually a few times that uh, she was able to actually use her audio magic to kind of subdue people harmlessly. Uh, kind of, she's really good at putting people to sleep, which is, I guess, how uh, she, you know, that's why she was part of this, you know, scrying project. Anyway, it was she was able to kind of knock people out. Um, but unfortunately, there were a few cases where she kind of had to use her weapons that she was given, um, and some of them did end up. Basically, she did end up having to kill a few of the people. She wasn't really proud of that, but she did what she had to do, especially when she was doing it to protect some innocent party that really, unfortunately, had to go out and basically 
one of the scars group was kind of menacing them. Uh, and yeah, uh, I could tell after we were having this conversation that the tone was kind of becoming a little dour. So, uh, so I changed subject. Um, basically, um, I was kind of curious at why they decided to uh, kind of wanted to leave the home, although or leave kind of via Bianca and you know Snowcap and Gravehaven. Um, basically, after um, you know these incidents, uh, Lomi decided to completely. He was kind of done with being the Silver Guard. Uh, he didn't like. He felt. He actually felt like as he's kind of going on that he was kind of becoming, he could see himself kind of becoming really in a bad headspace. So he knew that um, basically like he really wanted to be a doctor. And if he was going to continue doing this thing where he occasionally had to kill people, he really didn't want to do that. Uh, so he decided to leave the civil guard and basically, um, he basically abandoned becoming a med uh, medical doctor. Uh, although, uh, because he was a, also a member of the military of Nino Montoya, uh, apparently he actually received a very special honor because he was simultaneously, at that point, almost had received his doctorate in basically also being a member of the honor. There is a special thing called the Cross of Valor, who has been who was presented to those who basically did a few, uh, basically have done three different things: uh, basically being a member of the military, acting as a silver servant servant basically as like a firefighter or a doctor or something. Uh, and also being a former shaman, uh, of part of the, uh, Benukian animism, uh, religion, which he actually drew. That is actually because he was an animancer. He actually kind of became a form of form of, yeah, a form of shaman. And, uh, basically they decided, uh, after, uh, Lomi resigned from the civil guard and basically after Rhapsody kind of finished her studies, uh, basically they chose the CSN, and uh, the Steinwald, uh, basically because uh, the CSN and the uh, Nita Montagna actually had a treaty uh, that allowed uh, free movement between the countries, uh, basically allowed for really easy citizenship. And basically, Lomi was actually able to use the, uh, his Cross of Valor uh, when migrating over to CSN and say basically that he was a doctor. And uh, basically, he got through immigration incredibly quickly. Uh, apparently, uh, the CSN was like, it took him like almost like a week. And basically he was completely ready to move. Uh, and basically, um, Rhapsody got her, uh, kind of basically they, um, when they immigrated that basically Rhapsody was able to kind of get a job as a student teacher at Steinwald Academy of music, uh, music and audio, uh, audio magic to basically kind of get her on her master kind of thing for basically becoming a full music teacher. And uh, basically, once we kind of chatted about that, um, kind of decided to kind of move on to kind of more pleasant and more future things. Uh, so we went back to the living room and it turned out there was a, a apparently at this point, um, a good movie had started on TV. So we kind of sat around and watched it. I kind of forgot what the movie was. And basically after that, we played a few card games. And, you know, after a few hours of doing that, um, I decided that it was probably a good time for me to get home. Uh, so I thanked my guest and just kind of left. So yeah, uh, that was my meeting with Rhapsody and Lomi. I wasn't expecting those two to quite have the story that they did, but it turns out looks can always be deceiving. 
Uh, Rhapsody beams seem to be so sweet and happy, but actually turns out that she can be, you know, deadly serious when she needs to be. And also Lomi is kind of, you know, straight laced and seemed kind of aloof. Uh, not really jokey, but it turns out that he has a very passionate heart and, uh, whether that becomes uh, love or hate or not hate, but, uh, love or I guess anger in this case, uh, ready to do even some that he kind of finds distasteful if it really gets what he needs to be done. turns out that he can turn that on pretty much instantly. Um, but yeah, uh, I look forward to kind of get, getting to know uh, these two more. Um, maybe they have even more interesting stories to tell about them. So yeah, uh, just wanted to kind of keep you posted on uh, kind of my finds here, which actually speaking of finding things, I did think I might've found your friend that you mentioned that you uh, knew lived around here. Um, I found a, you, you mentioned that he was a park ranger and that you kind of forgotten his name, but he, I found a park ranger that kind of seemed to kind of match the description that you gave them. And he actually helped us. It was a very big help during that Cygnus mission. I didn't mention that I knew someone here. Um, but, uh, yeah, um, I didn't really have a good chance to, but maybe if I see him again, I'll, I'll ask him about you. Um, but yeah, if you need me to look into him, I can. Uh, and though I kind of wish you told me how you met, I'm kind of curious how you knew someone across the globe, even across different planets. Um, so yeah. Uh, anyway, that's it for me. I hope continues, things continue to be well with you. This is Lolo signing out. Thank you for listening to Hazeltown Story. If you'd like to get updates on this show and many other shows hosted by me, Lolo DePazlo, you can follow at Hazeltown Story on Twitter. And if you would like to get to know me more from a personal standpoint, you can follow my personal Twitter at Lolo DePazlo. If you would like to watch this be recorded live, you can go to twitch.tv slash lodepuzzle and follow the channel for notifications of when this show, as well as other shows like RetroRank Rhapsody, are being recorded. If you would like to add this podcast to your podcatcher of choice, you can search for WLDP Hazeltown Radio and find us on most major podcatching search engines. Or you can manually add rss.hazeltown.life to your podcatcher. Thank you for listening. And I hope you come around for the next episode.